Welcome to the Freedom House Church Weekend Message. Today, you'll be hearing an exciting message from a communicator on our teaching team. Whether you're just waking up, on your way to work, or going for a relaxing evening walk, we know this message will equip you to experience Christ's freedom today and every day. So enjoy. Before you sit down, look at three people. Just say, you look way better without a mask on. Just look at them. Then you may be seated. <laughs> Is that all right to say, too? I did it anyway. So I already said it. Hey, I want to welcome you to our Good Friday in-person service. Easter weekend. I'm honored to be with my lovely bride. Can you stand up, Penny, for just one second? And I'm honored to be with you. I see a lot of faces I haven't seen for a while, and I'm so glad that you decided to come out on a Friday night just to worship with us and uh, hear a little message from us. Don't forget, this does not count as your Easter service for the weekend. Okay, so this is bonus. This is, you know, when you were in kindergarten, you got the little star next to your name. Jesus is putting a star next to your name because you came to Good Friday. But you still need to come to Easter Sunday um, uh, if you are, how about, how about real quick, I'm just curious, how many South Enders do I have here? Come on, let me hear a shout. Wow. How many, how many from Lake Norman? Come on, give me a shout. And then our Central Campus. How many of y'all, this is your first time ever coming to the campus? Raise your hand, many of you. I know it's a long, it is a long scooter ride from South End to get up here, so I'm glad you made it. Maybe charge up before you head back. We have services at all of our campuses. Um, we also want to welcome all of our live streamers. Church, can we just welcome all of our live streamers? Thank you for being. We got Washington, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Colorado, and all over the world. We're so glad that you decided to join us, and uh, we hope to see you real soon in the near future. So don't forget, we have our Easter services at all of our campuses, regular times. If you have not registered, make sure you go ahead and register uh, so we can know that you're coming. If we need to add another service, then we can do that and make sure we accommodate everybody. Um, I just want to take just a few minutes just to encourage you on the legalities of what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. You know, I think when we think about deaths in history. I, I just made a list of the ones that came to my mind. First of all, I don't know if you studied it in, uh, in English class when you were in high school, but Julius Caesar, pretty important death. Shakespeare wrote about him. 23, uh, he was stabbed 23 times by his own senate. Joan, Joan of Arc, 19 years old, burned at the stake. I think about uh, Abraham Lincoln, who was assassinated. I think about John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King, for all the music people, John Lennon or Whitney Houston. But I want to make this statement, and I want you to understand that no other death in history ever was or will compare with the death of Jesus on the cross. Let me say that one more time, because I want us to understand that there is no other significant death 
Uh, no other celebrated death, no other holiday that means as much as the death that Jesus died for us. I want to read one verse to you at the beginning here. This is Colossians chapter 2. may seem a little odd to read this. However, I want to talk about the, the, the spiritual ramifications of what happened 2,000 years ago. In Colossians chapter 2, two Paul writes to the church in, in, in Coloss because he, he is dealing with some problems with theology, with them, with the church there. And he says this, he says, you were dead, this is the New Living Translation, I'm going to read two translations, you were dead because of your sins, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, everybody said amen, amen, for he gave, for he, for, for he forgave all our sins, he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Now, let me read it in the message paraphrase. Listen, to I love this paraphrase. It says, when you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive. Everybody said amen. amen. Right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. Isn't that powerful? You know, this is a legal verse. You know, they're just like there are physical and natural laws, there are also spiritual laws. And so the cross is more than just a gruesome death. It was the notarization on a legal contract between God and man. Our freedom was sealed, signed and delivered by the action that Jesus did on the cross. Two leading British scientists by the name of Colin Humphreys and W.G. Waddington of Oxford University through their studies of all the Gospels and the Scriptures and all the, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all of the, the pertinent historical documents figured out by scientific record that Jesus actually died on ap April 3rd, 33 A.D. So think about it. Tomorrow is April 3rd. Just less than 2,000 years prior is the actual day that Jesus died for us. Just a few hours before the Jewish Sabbath which had started just before nightfall on Friday. And they also concluded and agreed that it was the Passover, which was a significant Jewish holiday, very significant. I was reading, I'm, I'm doing my devotion right now in the mornings, and I'm reading through Exodus. And it talks about as the Israelites are getting ready to leave, and the last plague was getting ready to be poured out by God over the, over the Egyptians which was the death of their firstborn son, all significant around what Jesus would do for us. And the, Bible, and the Bible tells us that at that particular, what they called the Passover, they were to take a lamb, their own lamb, bring it into their house. It was supposed to stay in the house for a few hours, and then they were to kill that lamb for the entire family. As a significant sacrifice, take the blood, put it over the doorpost, so that when the death angel crossed over their house, he would pass over them. Now, here's the significant thing about that. 
This was a story that would be told over and over and over and over again through history. Why? Because the generations that would come after that would see the significance of the freedom of that Passover lamb, of that blood that was shed for their family to be free from the slavery that they had experienced for 400 years. Now, Jesus was on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., six hours. Six hours of agony he hung. Six hours he labored in his breath. He couldn't breathe. (gasps) He would try to take a deep breath in, but as he did, the nails would pull on his wrists and pull on his feet. (gasps) He would take a deep breath again, trying to catch six hours of this agony over, minute by minute, breath after breath, he would feel this. See, Good Friday carried spiritual weight. Now, this is important for us to know as believers, very important for us to understand because the timing of Jesus' death was just as significant as the timing of his birth. We celebrate Christmas. We love Christmas. We know that Jesus was born, baby in a manger, eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus. But just as significant as his birth, the significance was the day of his death. Because during Passover, lambs were killed at 3 p.m. exactly. And from 3 to 5 p.m., they would dress the lamb in order to celebrate the act of God, the generational ripple effect of the freedom that they would have, generation after generation. In other words, we are free because of Jesus, because of the cross. We're free because of the lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Isaiah 53, verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. And this is important. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. Why? Because Good Friday, not only does it have a spiritual weight, but Good Friday also shows the significance of his sacrifice. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus had two titles in the New Testament, two significant titles. One was found in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. It says, but the, one of the elders said, this is when John is having his revelatory on the Isle of Patmos. He's having this amazing um, prophetic dream, whatever you want to call it, about the end times. And he sees the elders worshiping. And one of the elders said to him, do not weep, behold, and he gives the title of Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has prevailed and open the scroll to loose its seven seals. However, here's the interesting thing. Most of the time, Jesus is not referenced as the lion. He's referenced as a lamb. Matter of fact, when he came on the scene, when he was 30 years old, and he shows up, he shows up, John the Baptist is baptizing people, dunking them, bam, 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 dunking them. And, John, and he shows up, and Jesus walks up. And, and, and here's the thing. John knew he would recognize Jesus because God told him that you need to recognize the one. The one that the Spirit descends upon and remains, that's the Christ. 
So he baptized Jesus. It happens. The heavens open up. God speaks. And then John makes a statement. He says, behold, remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, I did a little research for you. The first time the word lamb is ever mentioned in Scripture is Genesis chapter 22. Very interesting. When Abraham is told by God to take his only son up on the mountain and kill him. Now, imagine I'm a dad. That'd be a hard, I I would do it. Just being honest. My only son? No, I, I mean, I only have one son, two daughters. I wouldn't do any, for any of my kids, that'd be really hard. I know you're thinking you're very spiritual and you probably, oh yeah, God said it, I'd do it. You're lying, you wouldn't do it either. (laughs) But Abraham says, I'm going to do this. Now why, why? Because he was giving us a picture, a metaphor of the sacrifice. So he goes up on, he takes his son, and his son asks him a very, very important question. Hey dad. Yo, Dad, this is a Maxwell paraphrase. Yo, Dad, Abe, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham's response is very important. Because the first mention of something gives us the purpose of it. He says, God will provide himself a lamb. Now, why is this important? Because God did provide a lamb for Abraham and for us. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus went to the cross a lamb, not a lion. He did it voluntarily. He did it without ripping and tearing and roaring like a lion. No, he was meek, quiet, compliant, lowly. He went to the cross a lamb. He was raised from the dead a lion. We'll celebrate that on Sunday, but he's referred more times as a lamb sacrificed than a lion roaring. Why? Because sacrifice, a sacrifice is selfless. Whenever someone sacrifices, and we're thinking about this legal document that Jesus did for you and me, this this contract, this spiritual law that he has enacted for you and me. It had to be a sacrifice. Jesus laid down his life. A real sacrifice has no benefit to the one giving it. That's what a real sacrifice is. Matter of fact, a sacrifice will always cost something. When somebody says, I'm sacrificing, it means I've got to give up something. It's going to cost you something. When God asks you to sacrifice, it's always going to hurt a little bit. Now, for Jesus, it hurt a lot. He, he, he took all of our pain and sorrow and hopelessness upon himself. But also, a sacrifice is very unique because it creates communion. See, in the Old Testament, they would give offerings and sacrifices. You, you may read through, maybe just one time, read through Leviticus. It talks about all the, we skip over that chapter, that whole book now. We're like, we're, that's, we're New Testament. We don't have to read Leviticus anymore. But it talks about burnt offerings or sin offerings or trespass offerings. But here's the unique thing. Whenever someone would bring an offering to the temple, the offering, if it was a burnt offering, it was completely consumed. When they would give the offering, the priest would put it on the altar, 
completely burned up. When it was a sin offering, they would give the offering. They would, they would put it on the altar, and it would be the, anything that was left over was eaten by the priest. However, a sacrifice was different. When you came and you gave a sacrifice, it was shared between the person giving it and the person who is receiving it. See, this legal contract was not just between us and God, but it was also between God and himself. It was a covenant relationship between Jesus and himself and God and the Father. He had to do it that way. And so God gives the sacrifice, Jesus, given by God, and it's shared with us. So not only does Good Friday carry a spiritual weight good friday also shows the significance of sacrifice and it's making us an ever making everlasting life possible for you and me notice what it says in verse 13 of of colossians chapter 2 it says god brought you alive right along with christ the slate wiped clean check this out all of our sins consumed bam in an instant sins past present and future The ones you'll commit tomorrow, Jesus already took them. Isn't that amazing? Not only our sins consumed, bam, in an instant, our transgressions wiped away in a moment. Our iniquities brought into the right immediately. We were, past tense, dead in sin. Everybody look at me for a second. you You no longer have to live dead in sins. Because of the legal contract of the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. You you don't have to be held back by sin. You don't have to be weighed down by sin. I love the words to describe this. One translation says you were made alive. One translation says you were brought to life. One translation says you were risen with him. All done legally so that you could live it out physically. That's an awesome, awesome plan. See, my wife and I, we love to watch legal shows like crime shows I don't know if she's trying to figure out like if I disappear one day where's Pastor Troy he's been gone for two weeks um, she may have figured out by watching these shows how to dispose of me without ever being caught I'm just letting you know right now she's your first suspect anyway I love to watch them and there's a legal term uh, that is used often called expunged. You may have heard that. If you're a lawyer, you probably know this way better than I do. It means to erase or remove completely. In other words, when a, when a criminal record is expunged, it is completely destroyed or sealed so that it can't be used against them. So when Jesus went to the cross for us, he made a life everlasting for us that doesn't have to be tied by sin. He took all of your sin, all of your your contracted sin, everything that you've done, past, present, and future. I don't understand how he knows what we're gonna do, even though he's given us free will, free choice. That's something we'll figure out when we get to heaven. It'll mess you up if you try to figure it out right now. We're just not smart enough to understand his sovereignty when it comes to that. So so he, he takes all of Troy Maxwell's stuff that he did Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he expunges it. He wraps it in this legal document and stamps it with the blood of Jesus 
and says that you're forgiven and you have everlasting life. And, he, and here's what he did. Listen, listen. Because it says that he stripped the tyrants of their spiritual sham authority, it will last for eternity. The devil can never take it away from you. He'll try to talk you into remembering your sins. You go, I don't remember that. It's been expunged. I'm sorry. I went to court and Jesus testified for me, was my witness, took my place so that I never have to live with that again. Don't let him talk you into living that way anymore. Can I get an amen? See, everlasting life is not just a heaven-bound life. It's a heaven-filled life. Let me say that one more time. Everlasting life is not just a, I'm going to go to heaven. It's I can live heaven on earth, a life filled with peace, joy, hope, healing, freedom, love, happiness. Because of the legal document that Jesus signed for you and me. Last thing I want to say is Good Friday made a promise given a gift received. I have a reoccurring dream. Anybody have reoccurring dreams? Raise your hand if you're strange like me. Okay, about half of you. Good, I'm glad I'm in good company. I have this reoccurring dream. And, and it plays itself out differently all the time. All the time. Same principle of the dream, different circumstances. And the way it works is I'm preaching somewhere. I'm, do, I'm like doing my thing, you know, getting ready to preach. And the way it always happens is it plays out first I can't find my notes. Now, I don't really need the notes. I could probably do it without it, but it's just kind of my little safety net. You know, like every now and then I can look at them, just make sure I'm saying what God said to me yesterday to say to you. It just keeps me in line, you know. And I can't find them, like, and I'm freaking out. Like, I'm t- Penny, where's my notes? I can't find my notes. It's in my dream, okay? It's in real. It's in my dream. I can't find my notes. I can't find them. What am, what am I going to do? What am, where, where are we at? Did you, did you take them? Maybe Olin shows up in the dream. Olin, where's my notes? He's like, Pastor Troy, I don't know where your notes are. You had your notes. I'm like, where are my notes? And then if I find my notes, then I go into the room, and everybody's not paying attention. I'm like, hey, pay attention. Look at me up here. Hey, I'm trying to talk to you. And y'all are talking and not paying attention. And, and then the sound stops working. And I'm like, hey. And the, I'm like, hey, come on, turn the sound on. You guys get straight back there. Get saved back there. What's going on? What's going on? I can't. And then, and then sometimes I have to go to another room to try to get the attention of this room, and it doesn't work, and everything's just messing up, and I just have this terrible, terrible problem trying to communicate to the people I'm trying to communicate to. Have you ever had a situation where you're trying to communicate with somebody and you can't? It is so bad. Like the phone is not working. And I'm like, what's going on with the phone? And you just want to throw, you don't take the phone and just throw it on the ground. But there's $600 and you just can't do that and it's not. <laughs> or with the Zoom meeting and it's clicking out and they just go. <laughs> they freeze. Or sometimes they fake you out and they fake you and you know, like do the freeze thing, messing with you. There's nothing worse than trying to communicate with somebody and you can't. And you try over and over and over. The Bible says you were incapable of responding to God. One of the enemy's strategies 
The first strategy of an enemy is to destroy communication. If the enemy can stop us from communicating, responding to God, he's done his job. Jesus' central purpose, follow me here and I'm almost done. His central purpose was to restore relationship between us and the Father. Yes, he healed the sick. Yes, he did miracles. Yes, he walked on the water. Yes, he preached amazing messages. But his primary goal, his primary purpose was to restore yours and my relationship. Matter of fact, that's what the whole cross is is about. Sin separated, sacrifice reunited. Sin is what separated us. Matthew 27, verse 45, it says, Now from the sixth hour, 12 p.m., until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. You ever wonder why that is? See, you have to ask the question, what was the cross? The cross was man's anger at God and God's anger at man satisfied. Once and for all. It was man's anger at God. I'm so mad at God, I'm gonna, I want to kill him. I'm going to put him through the worst thing you can ever go through. I'm going to put him on a crucifix and kill him. He did nothing deserving of it. He was falsely accused. All he ever wanted to do was to point people to his father. And because of God's anger at man, he had to take his vengeance out on someone in order for the freedom of us to be experienced. In other words, the cross was the conflict between God and man resolved. Once and for all. Now this, this is important. Everybody look at me and pay attention to what I'm saying because this will free you up in your prayer life. This will free you up in your relationship with God. Whenever you feel disconnected from God, just go to the cross. Because at that moment, it was resolved once and for all. Once and for all. Jesus, as he's dying, he makes this statement. They don't, they, a lot of the people that are around and they don't understand, he says that Jesus, the ninth hour, cries out at 3, 3 p.m. He cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Basically, what he's saying is, my God, my God. I never saw this before. Why have you forsaken me? Why? Okay, stop for a second. This will mess you up. Why would Jesus ask that question? And most people, let's be honest, most people get really nervous with the why question. I've asked it. I'm a little nervous sometimes. I'm a pastor. You know, I'm supposed to be super spiritual and stuff. And I've asked God the why question many times, and I'm a little nervous to ask him because I don't want him to get mad at him. But if Jesus can ask why, I'm good from now on. He says, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why? How can sin separate me from you? Because that's exactly what happened. See, Jesus died two deaths that day. Two deaths. And one was way more painful than the other one. Sure, his heart stopped beating and he stopped breathing. One death. 
But the greater death was that his father turned his back on him. And he cries out, why, God, why can something so simple as it seems as sin separate me? I thought about this. We know the Bible says God hates sin. Why does he hate sin so much? Sin is not a popular thing to talk about in church anymore. We don't, a lot of people don't talk about sin. It's not politically correct. You'll offend people when you talk about sin. Sin's real. Sin, sin is damaging. Sin hurts. Not only does it hurt you, but it hurts the people around you. Sin has a ripple effect. Sin is generational. Sin, sin needs to be dealt with. But most of all, sin separates. Why? 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 Because it's a counterfeit. Sin always says it's better than God. This way's better. That way's better. Now, once we've experienced it, and you've, and you've experienced real Jesus, which I believe maybe tonight, maybe tonight you'll experience real Jesus. I went to church for a lot of, a lot of my years when I was a teenager. I experienced religion. Kept living my life exactly how I wanted to. Sleeping with whoever I wanted to, smoking whatever I wanted to, drinking whatever I wanted to independent but then I met Jesus like real Jesus not a religion a real Jesus a real father and I recognized sin sin separated me from a father who loves me and he's always loved me and he loved me so much that on a Friday, almost 2,000 years ago, he took his son and he put all of my independence, all of my shame, all of my sin, and he put it right on his son. And he took his son and he put him on a cross and his son died for me. That's when I bumped into God. That's when the lines became clear between me and my father when I got that understanding. Thank God for Friday. Thank God for Friday. The veil was torn, the earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were open. See, Good Friday carried a weight, a spiritual weight for you and me. Good Friday showed the significance of an incredible sacrifice, the Lamb of God for you and me. Good Friday made everlasting life possible, that I can, I can enjoy a heaven-filled life right now. Good Friday made a promise given, a gift received. See, no other death, no other death in history ever was or will compare to the death of Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus died so that you and me would never have to. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this gift that you've given us. Thank you for your love that was poured out 2,000 years ago. Thank you. I hope we can understand it. God, I want to understand it more. I hope tonight maybe one person maybe a family maybe a dad or a mom maybe somebody that's in this place it's broken hurting maybe even because of religion God I pray that just like 30 years that happened 30 years ago it happened with me I met Jesus I met my father and my life never was the same again Father that's my prayer tonight thank God for Friday thank you God for sending your son to the cross for us signing that legal document that we can be free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we encourage you to spread the word. Share with your friends and family on social media and make sure you subscribe to hear a new message every week. Really love the message? Well, we wanna hear from you. Make sure to leave us a review below. Want more Freedom House content? Follow us on Instagram at Freedom House and subscribe to Freedom House Church on YouTube. We hope you are equipped to experience all that God has for you this week, and we'll see you for our next Freedom House Church weekend message.